Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, which is given to us through the Holy Spirit. And we pray now for the power of the Holy Spirit to change our hearts, our minds, renew us, guide us in your word. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. For the last four weeks, we have been taking a journey with the disciples. We have gone from the tomb where they saw they had known that Jesus had died, and then they hid in fear, and then he was resurrected. And then he said, go to Galilee. And though they had doubts, they went. Though Peter was crushed by his sin, he was renewed. And then they saw Jesus ascend into the heavens. And they went back to Jerusalem and they were rejoicing. But they were still, now what? There's work to do. We are to be his witnesses. That's what Jesus told them, that we are to be his witnesses. But still something was missing for them. And they were thinking, now what? Now what do we do? And what they had forgotten is that Jesus had given them words of comfort, words that they would be empowered by the Holy Spirit, that he would not leave them as orphans, and thus he would not leave you and me as orphans either, but that the Holy Spirit would come upon them and empower them for the work of ministry. And thus, we know that it is only through the power and the work of the Holy Spirit that we are even able to be disciples of Jesus and to do the work of ministry. This is what Jesus promised. He promises the disciples, I will send you the Holy Spirit and he will empower you to do what I have commanded you to do. So this morning, we are going to do a, start a three-part series on the person, the nature, the work of the Holy Spirit. This morning, part one is convicted. Next week, part two is sanctified. And then finally, on the day of Pentecost, we have empowered. Three weeks, by the way, is barely enough to start to scratch the meaning, the nature, the work of the Holy Spirit. But we're going to at least give it a shot. But before we even get into our text today, we have to lay some groundwork on who is the Holy Spirit Who is the Holy Spirit? See, if you ask people, who is God? They'll have some picture of this in their mind. The Sistine Chapel. There's God, the big guy in the sky, as some people would say. The man in heaven who reaches down. And thus, when you talk about God, often people will focus on God the Father. Have a big, long, white beard. Or he will sound, in many films, like Morgan Freeman, right? That's the voice of God, apparently. So we at least have the picture of God the Father up there. But when you get to who is Jesus, now this gets a little wonky for people. Even people in church, if you ask, who is Jesus? They'll kind of go, 
well, he's the son of God, right? I know that. And they think of him in a hierarchical nature. He, there's God the Father, and then slightly below, not much below, but a little below is the Son. But they have trouble. And I, I know this because I've asked people, is Jesus God? And people struggle with this. So Christians would say, well, yeah, he's God. But then you ask, well, who's the Holy Spirit, right? Who is the Holy Spirit? And people are all over the board on this one. They have no idea. I mean, there's the oneness Pentecostals, by the way, who reject the Trinity, and they would say that thus the Holy Spirit is a mode of God, that God simply appears sometimes as the Father, sometimes as the Son, and sometimes as the Holy Spirit. There's Jehovah Witnesses who would say that the Holy Spirit is the power of God made manifest, but not separate from God. That's just God the Father. So if you ask people, is the Holy Spirit God? They're like, I don't know. It's a mystery. Well, let's solve this one. It must always be remembered that the Holy Spirit is not simply an extra part of God, nor is he a passive part of God. We affirm that the Holy Spirit is God himself, co-equal and co-eternal with God the Father and God the Son. He has the exact same nature as God the Father and God the Son. At the same time, he is distinct. He is the third person of the Trinity. By the way, what we're going to be covering here is going to be a primer, so to speak, when we get to Trinity Sunday. We're going to talk about God, the triune God. But let's focus here on the Holy Spirit. Why do we say the Holy Spirit is God himself? We affirm that because that's what Scripture affirms. So, when we take a look at the nature of God, we're going to take a look at what's called the attributes of God. There are some distinct attributes here. Omnipresent. Who remembers what omnipresent means? Everywhere. Present everywhere. There is nowhere that God is not present. So, what does Scripture have to say about this regarding the Holy Spirit being omnipresent? Psalm 139, if you want to note that in your sermon notes, you can. Psalm 139, starting verse 7. Where shall I go from your spirit? Spirit being capital S. Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. God the Spirit, Holy Spirit, is there no matter where. The next one is omniscient. Do you remember what that one means? Now, that's a harder one, right? This is all-knowing. There's nothing that the Holy Spirit does not know. Again, Scripture says this, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, starting verse 10, For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thought except the spirits of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Omnipotent. All right, this is the quiz. All powerful. 
right? All-powerful. So the Holy Spirit is all, also all-powerful. From uh, Luke chapter 1, And the angel answered to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born should be called Holy, the Son of God. The Holy Spirit is also eternal. There's no beginning or end to the Holy Spirit. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purifying our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And finally, also, the Holy Spirit has the name of God. In the Old Testament, in the New Testament, God is called Lord, correct? Lord. Well, interestingly enough, here's what it says in Isaiah chapter 6, starting with verse 8. And when I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, this is God speaking, the Lord, Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of the people dull and their eyes and ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. This is God, the Lord, speaking to Isaiah to tell the people. Now, cross-reference this with Acts 28, verse 25. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. And the statement he makes is quoting Isaiah chapter 6. Make sure I got that right. Chapter 6. He says, The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet. He says, The Holy Spirit spoke to Isaiah, to tell the people. And what does I say in Isaiah? It is the Lord, such that the Holy Spirit and the Lord being one in the same. So this is what you have. The Holy Spirit is omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent, eternal, and has the name of God. Thus we can say with certainty, the Holy Spirit is God. He is not God the Father. He is not God the Son. And yet, he has the same exact nature of God. He is the third person in the Trinity, and thus we glorify and pray also to the Holy Spirit. So now, with that in mind, the words that Jesus gave to the disciples were actually of great comfort. He says, it's a benefit that I go away, and then God the Holy Spirit will be with you. So now, let's find out a little bit more about the nature of the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit. Going back to our reading from John. But I have said these things to you that when the hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but, I am, but now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you ask, where are you going? 
But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. So this morning we're going to focus on two words within our reading today. And the first one is paraclete. Now you might be thinking, hold on, I just heard you read the scripture and I did not hear you say the word paraclete in there. Right? So in the original language, the word is paraclete. Our translations use the word comforter or helper. And thus, in our translations, it says helper. And it actually goes back and ties more into the King James translation, the helper or comforter. And so that sense of it has been kept. And so does the Holy Spirit comfort us? Yes. Does the Holy Spirit comfort us? Yes. The trouble is, we have made that the primary work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is there to take care of me. And in our culture, it is not God-centric, it is me-centric. And so thus, God is here to serve me, and the Holy Spirit is to serve me in what I want and what I need. The Holy Spirit does not judge me. The Holy Spirit just comforts me and helps me along. But that is not the primary role of the Holy Spirit. You see, in the original language, paraclete has a different sense. It has one who is called alongside a legal advocate. And the paraclete has the legal sense to it or counselor. Now, attorneys are also called counselors, right? That's the original word, attorney, counselor, advocate, somebody who walks alongside. So in here, we've got the word paraclete, and it is one who is the legal advocate walking alongside, but... In the sense that Jesus is using it, it is not like a public defender. Jesus, in the context here, is not saying, I'm going to send a counselor, a public defender for you. No, in actually, in this context, he is sending a prosecutor. He is sending a prosecutor. And here's this word convict, right? That's our second important word, conviction. The sense of this word is to reprove or rebuke, to put to shame. Thus, Jesus is sending a prosecutor to put the world to shame and asking them to repent. This is the primary work of the Holy Spirit is conviction and to convict the world. 
and he is going to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. So what does that mean? Well, Jesus actually states it clearly. Concerning sin, because they did not believe me. What is the sin that the Holy Spirit will convict in? Unbelief of Jesus as Lord and Savior. That's what Jesus says. He says the Holy Spirit's going to come and convict of sin. And what is sin? Unbelief that Jesus is Lord and Savior. And concerning righteousness... He says here, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and they will no longer see me. He said, the righteous one has come in the world already, and they rejected him. What is righteousness? It is all that is right, pure, morally upright. That's Christ. He is the righteous one. And they have rejected him. And so the Holy Spirit convicts people of their unrighteousness. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Who is the ruler of this world? It is Satan, the prince of the power of the air. And so thus people who have unbelief in Christ, who reject his righteousness, are ruled by Satan. Go back to Ephesians. This is the work of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit then is the prosecutor who actively convicts you. But conviction. Conviction is much more than just an intellectual assent. Oh, I know that's wrong. No, that's not conviction. That's just knowledge. Even the demons know that things are wrong. But they are not convicted. Oswald Chambers said this. I love it. He said, conviction of sin is one of the rarest things that ever strikes a man. It is the threshold of an understanding of God. Jesus Christ said that when the Holy Spirit came, he would convict of sin. And when the Holy Spirit rouses the conscious and brings him into the presence of God, it is not his relationship with men that bothers him, but his relationship with God. This is conviction of sin, knowing that you have not just sinned or done something bad or wrong, but it is your relationship with God that is marred, that you are bankrupt, morally bankrupt before God. It is that type of conviction, and the burden of sin can over, only be overcome by realizing God's blessing of salvation in Christ Jesus. How many of you like to actually be convicted of sin? Anybody? I don't. Have you ever been convicted of sin? Not just intellectually, kind of go, oh, that was wrong, but you've actually been convicted of sin. Like it just takes your heart and crushes it because you know that you have done wrong against God. But nobody likes that. As a matter of fact, we can hear about sin in general, but don't point to my sin. There's a story about a woman in a southern church elderly lady, and she was listening to the sermon. And the pastor was preaching fervently against all common sins from gambling, murder, and everything in between. And the lady was just, you know, kind of just swaying her seat and going, amen, amen, preach it, brother, preach it. You know, and she was kind of doing that. And then the preacher hit on the subject of chewing tobacco. And this lady sat bolt upright and said, now he's left preaching and he's taken to meddling. Right? 
if it becomes personal, don't you dare preach about that. See, what is the greatest offense in this world today? In our culture, the greatest offense is that your words offend somebody. That is the greatest offense. And thus, we now have people saying that any speech that I don't like is hate speech. This is endemic in our culture and around the world. And it certainly affects Christians. To talk about certain topics in England will get you arrested. To talk about certain topics in Canada, and by the way, these are the free countries of the world, right? Will also get you arrested. There is a man who was either, I can't remember, fined or put in jail. He was threatened because his son or daughter, and I can't remember which, he misgendered his child. He wouldn't use the gender that this child preferred rather than how, let's just say, she was born with. Now, it's even more serious than this because this has infected the church as well. A study came out not too long ago, just a couple months ago. It said a majority of pastors feel pressured not to talk about certain subjects in the church because people will be offended. And so thus, the hot topics, right? Abortion being the hot topic. Homosexuality being a hot topic. Gender or transgender being the hot topics. Don't talk about those because people will be offended. Here's what you need to know. And this is what's really been on my heart for all of this. If you say you should not talk about certain topics because people will be offended, what you're doing is saying, Holy Spirit, don't convict anybody of sin. And if there is no conviction of sin, there is no repentance. And if there is no repentance, there is no forgiveness. And if there is no forgiveness, there is no salvation. That's the seriousness of this. The Holy Spirit's primary role is to convict of sin. Why? Because of salvation. So let me tell you here, this is what happened on the day of Pentecost. Peter was preaching. He said, and I'm going to get this here. He said, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And Peter said, and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
They were cut to the heart. They were convicted of their sin. They repented, and they then received the forgiveness of Christ Jesus, the salvation of the gospel message in Christ Jesus. So the question is, do you pray for that work of the Holy Spirit? Do you pray for the work of the Holy Spirit to convict of sin and righteousness and judgment? Do you pray for yourself for that to occur? Not just others, right? For yourself. And there are people in this world we actually do want to pray for conviction of sin. We want God to use his hammer and break their heart of stone. Why? Not for punishment, but for salvation's sake. You see, here's the point. In sin, you are on death row. You may not realize it, but you are under the sentence of death. But through conviction, through repentance, you can receive the message, the gospel of salvation in Christ Jesus, and you go from death row to a new life in Christ. You receive the gospel message. The death sentence is commuted. And you have a new life. And you have that freedom in Christ Jesus because of the power of the Holy Spirit working in you. And all of this happens through the word of God. We believe that God's word is, here's the big word, efficacious. It means it can do what it says it will do. convicts of sin, and brings people to new life. We believe that the Holy Spirit works through the Word of God. Where do you find the Word of God? In your Bible. People want to know the, what you know, God's will is apart from His Word. Look, open the book, put your head down and start reading. God will speak to you. God will speak to you. So it comes through his word. It comes through the preaching of the word. It comes from the sharing of the word. There's a fellow, Tony Campalo. I don't know if you know him. He told about this really moving incident at a Christian junior high camp. He served there. He said one of the campers one year was a boy with spastic paralysis and he was the object of ridicule. Remember, this is a Christian camp now, right? He was the object of ridicule in this camp because of how he could or couldn't speak. And so the boys would deliberately mimic him with the halting answers how he might get the words out. And one night, out of spite, they asked this boy to lead devotions for their group so they could ridicule him one more time. And this boy stood up and with great effort, he said, Jesus loves me and I love him. That was it. And conviction 
fell upon everyone in the room. They were brought to tears by this young man's proclamation. And actually revival gripped that camp. And years afterwards, Tony Campalo still meets men in ministry who came to Jesus Christ because of that one young man's testimony. You see, there are many people who go to church and they've, they've never been convicted of sin. And they go through all the churchy stuff and do things like that, but they're, they're not alive in Christ because they're, they reject any conviction of sin. There's no repentance in their lives. My prayer for all of us today is that we not only know conviction of sin, we know the gospel message of forgiveness in Christ Jesus. And that we pray for the work and power of the Holy Spirit to continually point us to Christ. Each one of us needs to be continually baptized with fire in the Holy Spirit on a weekly basis so that we too don't fall into disbelief. And then we also need to pray for our friends and family members who are not in Christ, that they too would be convicted, repent, and know Jesus as Lord and Savior and go from death to life. This is the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this is the first and primary work of the Spirit. Let's pray. Gracious God, Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the gift of life we have through Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And we pray for the Holy Spirit to work powerfully in our lives, not only to convict, but to bring us to ever greater life, abiding in Christ Jesus, proclaiming him in our hearts and to the world. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope that you've been blessed by this message. If you have any questions or you would like to grow deeper in your faith, please visit our website at joyccc.com. Again, that's joyccc.com.